The Old Testament is recorded in Isaiah chapter 55, beginning verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. The epistle reading is from Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom as of the the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you seen the movie from 2014, The Fault in Our Stars? It's about two teenagers, two teenagers who have cancer. One of the characters, named Hazel Grace, has terminal thyroid cancer that is spread to her lungs. And her love interest, Augustus, known as Gus Waters, has had his leg amputated because of osteosarcoma. I knew I'd struggle over that word. Well, this love story tries to address the issues of suffering and death. It's a moving story. It might even make you shed a tear or two. But unfortunately, as one reviewer of the movie observes, the characters talk and they talk and they talk, but nothing they have to say has real meaning. And I would agree. Why? Because the fault in the stars presents a hopeless eternity. It actually presents a hopeless present, too. While ignoring and even mocking the Christian message of Christ's work of redemption and the resurrection, the best one can do, according to these characters, is leave a scar, leave an imprint on another person's life. Gus says that he hopes for oblivion. That's nothingness, unconsciousness. What a thing to hope for. Hazel Grace concludes the that infinity is experienced in this life. As she eulogizes Gus, she says, and I quote, some infinities are bigger than other infinities. A writer we used to like taught us that. There are days, many of them, when I want more numbers than I'm likely to get, and God, I want more numbers for Augustus Waters than he got. But Gus, my love, I cannot tell you how thankful I am for our little infinity. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You gave me a forever within the numbered days, and I am grateful. It's this kind of sentimental drivel containing nothing of eternal value that is spoken and believed by literally a growing number of people in our society, and it's the kind of stuff you hear at so many funerals today. Contrast Gus's and Hazel's dismal viewpoint with that of the confident confession of St. Peter, who says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And similarly, St. Paul devotes 
or provides a realistic yet hope-filled view of pain and suffering and death when he writes in Romans chapter 8, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits for eager longing, or waits with eager longing for, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for he who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now those are meaningful words when we experience suffering and pain and death in this life. You see, despite all appearances and all of our experiences, as God's privileged people, we believe with certain hope that God, who subjected all of creation to the curse of sin, will liberate us. He'll save us. He'll save His whole creation from that curse of sin when Jesus Christ returns in glory. And this reality, this truth makes all the difference in the world to us when we're experiencing our own pain and suffering and death. Yes, we have this hope of deliverance from sin and suffering and death in the future because, and I quote the words of President Matthew Harrison from his book, Take Courage, he writes, God the Father and God the Son willed that the Son should suffer and die. God willed death. God willed suffering. At first, this is disconcerting. I mean, isn't death a result of sin? And isn't suffering a result of sin? So is God the cause of sin? No. God is not the cause and the source of sin and death. Yet God makes himself, makes use, I should say, of the curse of sin. He makes use of suffering and death for his good purposes. Just think of it. As Christ was dying on the cross, his followers were terrified, distraught, hopeless, and helpless. They thought God had abandoned them in Jesus, but it was not so. The Father had abandoned Jesus to death for them. And the greatest act in the history of the universe appeared to be a pathetic, powerless, and useless failure. But... As Jesus says in his own words, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own cord. Yes, as believers in Christ, we know and we believe that God's very own Son suffered. He suffered death for you and for me and for all the people of this world. As believers in Christ, as God's privileged people, as we experience and endure 
the pain and realities of a sinful world, we know that we'll ultimately overcome all of that which causes us pain, all of that which causes us suffering, all of that which is, which is associated with death because God himself suffered and died. He did so for you and me. God's Son broke the curse of sin by becoming a curse for us, freeing us as a result from the shackles of sin and from the prison of death. And so we wait patiently, Paul says, for the redemption of our bodies. For our bodies, God promises, will be resurrected in glory to glory. A 90-year-old woman wrote, In my 90th year, revisiting Maclean's, and Maclean's is a magazine in Canada, very much like Time magazine here in the United States. She writes, In my 90th year, revisiting Maclean's brought one more grim observation of the limitations of human intelligence. Maclean's reports a world of ferocity of hate, enormity of greed, stupidity of pride, Vanity of bigotry and denial of honor and decency. There's not a glimmer of hope or laughter except in the advertisements. I looked in vain for the pasture spring or splendor in the grass. Dare I repeat this depressing visit for, not, for 40 more weeks? This 90-year-old woman describes a truth that is vividly described by St. Paul in our text. When St. Paul writes, we know that all of creation groans, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And that's all that the news agencies and the podcasters report. They report day after day, even minute after minute, of all of the groans and the shrieks of this world that is cursed by sin, and they propose ideas and suggestions to solutions that have no eternal value. They express bewilderment of a world cursed in a perpetual state of sin. And they simply, quite simply, have no answers. They just talk and talk and talk and talk. But nothing they say has substance with eternal value. And when we listen to them go on and on and on, it can't help but make us depressed. All people suffer. Even God's privileged people suffer. I'm speaking to people. I'm speaking to myself. We all suffer. We suffer pain and anguish. And yes, we suffer the consequences of death. I think of the family I heard about just yesterday whose daughter has Rett syndrome, and for years they've had to minister to this, 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 this girl, this loved one. I think of the once vibrant man who suffers a stroke and is now immobilized. I think of the woman who suffers day by day the fatigue and the muscle ache that comes with fibromyalgia. I think of the man who is paralyzed in life by social anxiety. I think of the three-year-old child who resides in a cancer clinic. I think of all of the splintered families 
I think of the fatherless homes. I think of the pregnant woman whose life is seemingly so hopeless that she thinks the only viable option for her is to abort her baby. I think of all the poverty in the world and the malnutrition in the world, and I think of the grief of loved ones whose son or daughter or husband or wife was killed by a senseless drunk driver. I think of all of those people who have overdosed and brought grief to their families, overdosed on some kind of drug. I think of all of the people who are unemployed without a job. I think of one's, a person's reputation who's been damaged by slander. And I think of all the devastation that's been caused by earthquakes and famines and tornadoes as all of creation groans under the curse of sin. And need I go on? No. Because to do so would be simply mimicking the talking heads on social media newscasts like so many other talking heads. I don't need to give you a litany of bad things to know that we all suffer. We all experience pain. We all experience the reality of death. That's true whether we're one of God's chosen privileged people or not. We all have scars. And in some cases, we still have open wounds because we live in a fallen world. But how do we respond to this? What is our hope? Do we just simply grin and bear it? Do we simply keep the upper chin? Do we thank God for the good days that we have when we've had so many bad days? Do we just simply find a lot of hope in that positive report that came from the doctor as a result of the most recent test that was done? Do we have the satisfaction of knowing that we have accomplished our bucket list before we kick the bucket? Do we maybe put a picture on the mantle of someone we love who is now deceased? Do we make a biannual visit to the grave? Do we maybe entertain a memory of some memorable trip that we had with someone who has passed away? Do we remember maybe the gift, a special gift that they gave to us? Those things are not bad in and of themselves, but is that all that we have? Is that all we have to find relief from our pain and our suffering and death? Oh, do we maybe go with Gus and say, oh, I hope for oblivion? Or do we go with the young woman who said, well, you gave me a forever within the numbered days. You know, outside of Christ Jesus, there is no satisfying answers to life's suffering. They all come up short. There is no certain hope. There, no, there is no eternal joy. And that's why we really shouldn't be surprised when people want to seek assisted death. But that's not the Christian way, is it? That's not the solution that God gives us in the midst of pain and suffering and death. No, St. Paul observes in our text, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation itself will be set free set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
Or as one paraphrase of the Bible translates verse 19, nature is waiting on tiptoe, tiptoe, to see the unveiling of God's family. As God's privileged people, we who know Christ's love and forgiveness and his victory over death being our victory, we wait on tiptoe with eager anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ. We wait for that moment in history when our Lord Jesus Christ will return again. He'll descend from heaven in glory and we will receive the redemption of our bodies. And we wait for that day even in the midst of suffering with patience. A mother is a mother and laborer is often encouraged to focus on an object during those labor pains. And by concentrating on the object, she can take her mind, or at least in some ways distract her, her mind from the trauma of the delivery. And this is kind of what St. Paul is saying and exhorting us to do in our text. Paul encourages us not to focus on our pain, not to focus on our suffering, but instead to focus on what? On Christ's suffering, on Christ's resurrection from the dead, on his victory and his promise of victory to us. We're to focus on his ascension to the glories of heaven, for he has promised that we too will ascend one day to the glories of a new life. And that's why Paul says in our text, our present sufferings, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us when we receive the redemption of our bodies. Have you found those words of St. Paul to be a source of comfort and strength to you when you have experienced suffering, pain, death, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. To the Corinthian Christian, St. Paul writes, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed every day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Again, President Matthew Harrison writes in Take Courage, I cannot fathom the tiniest portion of what God is up to in times of crisis. I do know what he did on that cross, on the cross of Jesus. I know that he knows what he is doing, and I know that he works his greatest blessings through crosses, I plunge all my questions into the wounds of Christ on Calvary. I know that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Yes, there are times when we cannot fathom why it is that God is putting us through the pain and suffering that we are experiencing we shake our head almost in disbelief. But yet we need not despair. We do not despair because we know 
We know that Christ was pierced for our transgressions and by his wounds we are healed. Yes, we have a Savior who sympathizes with us in all of our weaknesses. We have a Savior who journeys along through, with us through the valleys of the shadow of death. Oh, how many times we have heard those words, but they're so very true. He is with us always until the very end of the age. When we are going through the pains that we go through, when we're going through the sufferings that we're going through, He is not abandoning us, but instead He is actually enveloping us in His strong and loving arms, and He's assuring us that He too has suffered, and because He suffered, we will ultimately be healed of sin. Not in this life, per se, but ultimately in heaven. Yes, Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees our deliverance from suffering and death. And that's why we can patiently wait upon it. That is why even in the midst of the greatest pain and suffering we may experience, we, give, we do not give up hope. But instead, like Job who was in the midst of his suffering and pain, we say, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And even after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. Oh, how my heart faints, yearns within me for that day. As God's privileged people, we focus on our eternal redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. We focus on that which awaits us in glory. And as strange as it may sound, God's privileged people suffer in faith. And even in some situations, God's privileged people rejoice. Yes, even rejoice in their sufferings for Christ's sake. For our suffering forces us to place our trust not in the limited intelligence or ingenuity of learned man, nor to trust in medical advances, nor to trust in government administrations and policies, nor to trust even in ourselves, nor in the wealth that we can acquire. No, ultimately suffering and pain and death force us to what? Well, hopefully force us to pray bring our cares and concerns and anxieties and fears before the Lord because he cares for us. It forces us into the word to read God's word of promise. It forces us to our baptism where we're assured that we are children of God. It forces us to the communion rail where we are fed and nourished by the, bloody, the body and blood of Christ. And oh, how we long to hear those words of absolution like I spoke earlier in this service. Your sins are forgiven. Yes, our pain and our suffering cause us to focus on our crucified, risen, and victorious Lord, to trust in the promises of God where he reveals that we will one day experience the joy of being delivered, delivered from the womb of sin and death into a new life, born anew into the glorious freedom of eternal life. Amen.
And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.